Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Outrage Science Bites, the companion podcast to the Outrage Overload podcast. I'm David Beckmeyer, your host and Outrage Overlord. This is day 26 of the NAPOD POMO Challenge, the National Podcast Post Month. That's a challenge to produce an podcast, a podcast episode every day for 30 days for the 30 days of November. So this episode, and maybe a few of these last ones to day 30, will may, maybe do some of this as well. But this, in this episode, I'm going to answer um, a question that was sent to me by a listener. And I guess you could say, why wasn't doesn't a listener just Google? Couldn't you just Google this thing? And you know that's true, but you know, by hopefully, I'm going to give an answer that's more interesting than Google, and also more specific to the topic we talk about on the show, sort of outrage in society, outrage in politics, and and tie, tie it back to that, and tie it back to the topics we talk about on the show a little bit more than a Google search would. So back on day three, I talked about the idea of how moral indignation or, or moral outrage can, can be a tool, so it's not always bad, but can be a tool to motivate and organize people into taking action. And somebody got back to me, a listener got back to me and talked about how is this sort of like anger versus passion? And asked me to talk about that and sort of how do different newscasters sort of present anger or um, how, how is that presented on by different newscasters. And so I'll talk about that a little bit. So and I can see how some of these emotions, they all are kind of related and overlap a little bit. So moral outrage, anger, passion, they're all these intense emotions and they can all be triggered by, you know, perceived injustices and wrongdoing. So there's, you know, there's some overlap there. But they are distinct and have some unique characteristics. So I would say moral outrage is a response to these perceived, you know, violations of moral standards or, or moral norms, and it's usually accompanied by feelings of disgust and contempt and desire to punish, you know, this transgressor who has violated these norms. And as I noted on that day three episode, that it can be a powerful motivator for action, but it can also lead to prejudice, aggression, and violence if not sort of channeled, you know, in a good way. You know, anger is generally thought of as more of a negative emotion. You know, it's kind of characterized by feelings of hostility, resentment, and sort of a desire to retaliate. And it can also be triggered by a wide range of events, uh, personal slights, frustration, personal threats. And again, like moral outrage, anger can be a powerful motivator for change, but it can also lead to impulsive actions, poor decision-making, and aggression. And passion is generally considered more of a positive emotion. It's usually characterized by feelings of enthusiasm, excitement, a strong commitment to a particular cause or belief. And again, it can be a powerful force for positive change, but it can also lead to fanaticism, intolerance, and resistance to opposing viewpoints, if not tempered by reason and empathy. And you could say this Outrage Science Bites podcast and the Outrage Overload podcast are characterized by lots of passion. And the listener also brought up this idea of different styles from newscasters, you know, one, one style to another, and how anger could be good, and more details about how anger could be good. Uh, or even necessary, so I'll talk about those things a little bit. So the way that anger is expressed can, of course, vary a lot from, you know, newscaster to another. And, you know, some are sort of more subdued about it, and um, 
Others are more confrontational or accusatory. And of course, it depends on the audience they're trying to reach and, and various other factors. You know, and when it's expressed in a constructive way, we can draw attention. It can anger can draw attention to important issues, challenge injustice, inspire action. All the good things we've talked about. You know, a, a newscaster who expresses anger about a political scandal may be able to mobilize public opinion and pressure to change. Similarly, a newscaster who passionately advocates for a social cause may be able to inspire others to take action. And then, so when does it cross over and become a bad thing? Well, obviously. You know, it can be used in a destructive or unproductive way. In some ways, that happens is through personal attacks, hyperbole and exaggeration, incitement to violence. So if newscasters are using anger to attack individuals or groups, they can create toxic and divisive environment. And when anger leads to exaggerated or misleading statements, it can undermine the credibility of the newscaster and the news organization. And of course, when it goes all the way to inciting violence, or hatred, it can have dangerous consequences, and we've seen that. Let's look at a couple of examples. Here's two newscasters talking about the same subject, free speech on college campuses. First, here's Fareed Sakaria. In recent years, the pressure on universities to take political positions has grown. A turning point might have been the murder of George Floyd. George Floyd! When many institutions decided to demonstrate their sensitivity and issue statements, Once they took a stand on one political issue, it is perfectly understandable that they have been also asked to condemn Hamas's attack last month. But where will it end? A Pandora's box has been opened. With every major political event, university administrators will have to decide whether to condemn or support it. Will they find some standard by which they can explain why they denounced one terrorist attack or human rights abuse, but not another? I'm not sure what it signifies that many of us find the embrace of free speech outlined in the Calvin Report to be too cold in its neutrality. We want our institutions to endorse our own passions and points of view. But can they do that in a diverse society in which people disagree so strongly on so much? I fear that far from bringing us together, the path we are on will drive us further apart. And here's Tucker Carlson. On the other hand, it's really kind of ominous because our meritocracy is essentially fraudulent and our system is completely rigged for the benefit of a few. A lot of these shallow neurotic narcissists that we're making fun of tonight will in the end wind up running this country. Those people writhing on the floor about how they're so threatened. Yeah, they're going to be in charge. They shouldn't be. But because the system is rigged, they will be. They'll be making the decisions that affect your life and the lives of your children and grandchildren. And these are the people who literally couldn't care less about the First Amendment or any amendment or, in fact, any document that might limit their power in any way. They consider themselves gods and they'd like you to shut up and obey and they'll use force if they have to. So what kind of place will America be when those people take over? If I was asked to show an example of a more left-leaning newscaster using a similar style to what what we heard from Tucker Carlson, it's a little tougher to find because that style doesn't play as well with those audiences. And that doesn't mean that you don't find that kind of thing on the left, but it's not always on the newscasts. A better left-leaning example of personal attacks would not be newscasters, but would be late-night comedy. Here's Jimmy Kimmel. 
We are still learning more about what went on in the days leading up to the attack on our capital on January 6th. And it's even crazier than the crazy we previously thought was so crazy. Turns out the calls were coming from inside the House and the Senate. Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, reportedly was texting with 34 Republican lawmakers, exchanging ideas and suggestions for how they might be able to overturn the election and keep Trump in office. The list includes all the usual suspects, Ted Cruz, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Jim Jordan, Louis Go. It's like a gang of Batman's dumbest enemies. But one of the more notable texts that uh, was released, it, Meadows got a text from South Carolina Representative Ralph Norman. Three days before Biden took office, Norman texted, Mark, in seeing what happened so quickly and reading about Dominion lawsuits, attempting to stop any meaningful investigation, we're at a point of no return in saving our republic. Our last hope is invoking martial law. Please urge the president to do so. But instead of martial, he spelt it uh, martial, like the chain of off-price department stores. And if martial law doesn't work, we'll mobilize the TJ Maxinistas. It's... Building on the concept we discussed on the Outrage Overload podcast, I recently spoke with Tammy Piper of the Dignity Index. They've developed a valuable tool that rates speech on an eight-point scale, ranging from dignity to contempt. That system can be incredibly helpful in identifying when our message crosses the line into unproductive or even harmful territory. So to sum it up, you know, anger can be a powerful tool for good when used constructively, but it can also be destructive when used inappropriately. When it comes to newscasters or late-night comedians, they have a large megaphone. It would be terrific if they used their platform responsibly and expressed anger in a way that is productive and ethical. However, as we've discussed on several of these Outrage Science Bites episodes, such as Day 10, Day 11, and especially Day 25, as well as a major theme of the Outrage Overload podcast, the incentive structures for bad behavior are powerful. The money and power that comes with those tactics is very compelling. You know, so we can't really expect harmful outrage messaging to disappear anytime soon. That means that we have to shift our approach to consuming information. By becoming more vigilant, mindful, and discerning consumers of content, we can mitigate the negative impact of this harmful messaging and maybe even initiate that positive cascade effect that could reverse the trend and greatly reduce outrage messaging. So if you like these little episodes, you may like the long-form Outrage Overload podcast. You can find that at outrageoverload.net. And you can also find past episodes of Outrage Science Bites that I referred to in this episode by scrolling down at the bottom of the outrageoverload.net website. There's a link to Outrage Science Bites, and you can find all the past episodes there. And, and just like this listener, if you have a question about something we've talked about or anything related to these subjects, feel free to shoot us a note at outrageoverload at gmail.com, and we'll check that out and um, maybe work it into uh, one of these Outreach Science Bites episodes. Thanks for listening, and watch for another episode tomorrow. <laughs>